welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood. Thank you for joining us on Faith and Family today as we continue our series entitled Transformative Parenting. What we are talking about is the spiritual formation of children that forms them in such a way that their faith not only survives our darkening culture, but thrives in the midst of it. Catholic Christians have been here before. In fact, Christianity was born in the midst of a pagan empire, and it simply grew. The children raised in the faith eventually raised their children in the faith, and before too many generations, a pagan empire was converted to Christianity. So what we're trying to do in transformative parenting is rediscover the very depth of parenting, what God has to offer parents and their children in today's world. I need to review where we've been so far because we're really, we're like building blocks, what we're doing in this series of broadcasts. And so for quick review, for those of you who have been with us, and just by way of brief summary, for those of you who are just now joining us, here's where we have gone so far. Number one, our world and culture have changed. I know this isn't big news, but a lot of times our parenting strategies haven't changed, even though we're quite aware that our world and culture has changed dramatically. And specifically, our society no longer provides outward supports for the practice of the faith. And young people are particularly hard hit by the degeneration of our culture. God has intended that both there are internal and external supports for the faith. Now, if we're living in a culture where the outward supports are no longer there in the wider society, then we need to really double up on the internal strength of the faith. So that brings us to number two. Youth and adults in today's world need a strong, internal, personal faith attachment to Christ to survive spiritually. In other words, they need this heart-centered spiritual transformation that we're talking about to guide them, equip them, and empower them to live in today's world. Number three, and this is where a mistake sometimes is made, an emphasis on those rigid mandatory requirements in an attempt to produce some type of spiritual formation produces horrible results. And last week we saw how simply using a legalistic approach kind of has a boomerang effect, the very thing it seeks to eliminate or stop, uh, the opposite happens. There's almost a rebellion to the law. And really what we need to do in order to establish a relationship with Christ needs to be an emphasis on God's grace, not on a list of legalistic hurdles in order to uh, obtain a sacrament or something like that. We looked at the book of Philemon in the New Testament from St. Paul, where he demonstrated the power of heart transformation in the New Covenant to bring about the obedience that everyone seeks 
and he directly resists the uh, the idea of this strong com- apostolic command. He's realizing that there's actually more power in grace bringing the internal transformation, and therefore there would be obedience beyond even an apostolic command. This brings us to number four, where we highlighted that there needs to be a relational setting in order to convey and teach a relationship with Christ. We should always teach in a manner and an environment that's consistent with whatever we're trying to convey. And this is where very often for today's world, limiting spiritual formation to a classroom could be a huge mistake. Remember, I discussed last time the relationship bridge I built with some highly troubled boys in the mountains that led to really a just a miraculous transformation in their lives later spiritually in that week. But first, there was the bridge building, literally, that I did with these boys that formed a relationship bond between us that then gave me a means to cross over with the faith to their hearts. And I've written about this uh, affair of these boys in the mountains, and I thought so much of it. There's a whole chapter I begin this story in of my book, Christian Fatherhood. And just in case anybody reads my second book, Legacy, the book for fathers, it's also in chapters 11 and 12, basically expanding the same principle that you have to have a relationship. If it's simply somebody who has a teacher who has no relationship with your children, stands in front of a sterile uh, classroom and conveys information, their minds will be filled with religious information. And so often that will be a notional faith that will be conveyed because what you're trying to convey to them is a living faith, not a notional faith. So if a teacher would simply take the time outside of the classroom to build a relationship with his or her students, they'll have a much, much greater probability of imparting a living faith. And all of this brings us to the premise for this show, that the strength of faith conveyed to a child or to a teen is directly proportional to the strength of the relationship between student and teacher. And that simple premise, if you could pick up, again, as a CCD teacher, if you really live that out, you will quadruple your effectiveness. But beyond this, there's another group of people that are actually best equipped to teach the faith to children because if the strength of faith conveyed to a child is directly proportional to the strength of a relationship, This group of people, therefore, is in first place to share the faith. You're listening to Faith and Family, and I'm your host, Steve Wood, and we're going to explore who exactly this group of people might be. Well, if you're listening, Mom and Dad, it's you. You are the ones holding the golden key to the spiritual formation of your children and particularly the type of spiritual formation that leads them to have a transformed heart and faith that will be strong enough to survive in today's world. Talking about a relationship bond, who, who else uh, shares 
flesh and blood, DNA, name, home, meals, trips, outings, even your bank account. You're sharing with your children. You have a shared life together. I told the story of a life change that came to troubled boys due to one week I spent with them in the mountains. And I was a single man at the time. But after that, I started thinking, what no, what could a father do or a mother do who has years, maybe 18 years to spend with a child? That's a relationship bond beyond no other. So therefore, if the strength of faith conveyed is directly proportional to the strength of the relationship, mom and dad are in first place. And let me just issue a sober warning that if today's Catholic children don't receive an active spiritual formation from their parents, then they have a high likelihood of washing out of the faith and succumbing to our secular culture. But again, on the positive note, the strength of faith conveyed to a child is directly proportional to the strength of the relationship between teacher and student. And mom and dad, you are number one in strength of relationship. Therefore, you have the perfect platform, the perfect bridge, so to speak, into the heart of your child. Now, what I've just shared is absolutely no secret to the Catholic faith who call parents the primary religious educators of their children. But the reality is, and I'm just guesstimating here, but the reality is that this aspect of the Catholic faith isn't practiced in about 95% of the parishes in the United States. It isn't practiced. And how do you tell if parents are the primary educators of their children in reality? Or is it simply hot air? Is it spoken but not lived? Is it spoken but not practiced? Um, there are some very notable exceptions. And I have emphasized this before. I've learned of some wonderful programs. For instance, I know of one in Colorado. Another group in North Carolina wrote me in describing some wonderful family catechesis that's taking place in their parishes and equipping of parents. But here's a couple of questions for your parish. Um, does family ministry to parents, in other words, you want to equip parents to be the primary educators of their children, and this is not going to happen by magic. They're going to need some assistance, some formation themselves in order to convey the faith. So does your parish have a family ministry to parents, number one, and does that ministry have a line item in your parish's annual budget? In other words, is your parish spending as much on equipping parents for this critical ministry in today's world, oh, say as much as it does spend on lawn care or maybe even garbage pickup? This is sharp, but uh, hot air will not save children in today's world. It's critical that the parents are equipped for this task. Here is a citation from Catechesis in Our Time from Blessed John Paul II. This is so important that if you're driving right now listening to me, it's worth pulling over quickly without causing an accident, because what he says has to be followed for success 
uh, and I'm talking about success, is your children faithful to Christ, to the church, and get to heaven. This is, th- these are very high stakes, and we ignore this as our peril. Listen to blessed John Paul II. Family catechesis precedes, accompanies, and enriches all other forms of catechesis. Furthermore, in places where widespread unbelief or invasive secularism makes real religious growth practically impossible. I'm going to pause here. This is exactly the cultural situation that's prompting this entire series. Widespread unbelief and invasive secularism makes real religious growth practically impossible. So things we've depended on in other generations and in other situations are not going to work where we have this widespread unbelief and invasive secularism. And it's practically impossible, and then he goes on to say, the church of the home remains the one place where children and young people can receive an authentic catechesis. Thus, there cannot be too great an effort on the part of Christian parents to prepare for this ministry of being their own children's catechists. Encouragement must also be given to the individuals or institutions that help parents perform their task. The service they are doing to catechesis is beyond price. There you have it. This is the one place in the hostile secular environment in which our children are growing up where real religious growth can become possible. And encouragement must be given to all of those individuals and institutions helping parents with this task because, quote, the service they are doing to catechesis is beyond price, unquote. So again, what price in the budget of your parish is this going on? I I think if you're a priest, you really need to have some heart searching on this issue. It's something that parents need to bring up. Uh, You know, a parish can be spending literally hundreds of thousands of dollars on a parish school. But what happens in a parish school in today's world that forms children, but the parents aren't involved? It's not enough. Parish parochial schools may be made up for lack of parents being the primary educators of their children in past days. It is not going to work today, by and large. Parents have to be involved. And so schools, parochial schools, parishes, all forms of apostolates have to work with parents in order to become the catechist of their children. You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood. Now, why are we doing this? You know, Christianity fundamentally is not a lecture, it's not a textbook, it's not a seminar, and it's not a class. In the New Testament, the first term or the first name the early Christians had is found in Acts chapter 9, where Christians are called the people belonging to the way. Christianity was seen not as some random facts you learned in a classroom because there were no classrooms. Christians were being persecuted. But the way was a way of life that was communicated. 
And God's plan in both the Jewish home and the Christian home was for parents to be the primary conduits of passing on the faith to their children. In fact, one of the most important chapters in the entire Old Testament to the Jewish people comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that was, Deuteronomy 6 was called the Shema, which in Hebrew simply means to hear. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4, where God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That was the monotheistic statement of faith in ancient Israel. But God went on and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, that is, the heart as the main organ of understanding and spiritual perception, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. So the statement of faith is immediately coupled with the faith being conveyed from parents to children with nothing in between. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is how God's plan, and it really hasn't changed because this is the exact same plan that the Catholic Church teaches when it says parents are the primary educators of their children in the faith. You shall teach them diligently. You shall talk of them. It does not do in today's world simply to send them off to a class or a classroom and expect them to get a faith strong enough to withstand today's culture. You need some type of strong internal formation that comes from somebody with faith and a strong relationship to the child. And those with the strongest relationship to the child are the parents. Now, you ever interested in a just an over-the-top promise of God to have a living faith in your family? Maybe even after you're gone, you might die, but your faith wouldn't die. You'd have a living faith going on in your family. And there's a promise of God that, quite honestly, I've read a lot of books, Protestant and Catholic, on family life, and I really don't see this verse highlighted very much, so you might want to kind of find your way to it or try to write it down, remember this. It comes from Isaiah 59 and verse 21, and this is what God's promise says. As for me, God speaking, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit which is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, or out of the mouth of your children, or out of the mouth of your children's children, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Now, this is a messianic promise. This is a promise to the Messiah. But see, if you're in the new covenant, which means if you have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you're joined in covenant to the Messiah, and these promises apply to you. Now, many parents think, whew, 
you know, my child graduated from high school with his or her faith intact and I've, you know, I've done my job. No, your job's just beginning because that first couple of months in college is going to determine to a great extent what's going to happen for the next decade. And so other parents are thinking, whoa, my child graduated from college with his or her faith intact. But that's, that's not the vision of a, of a Christian parent because God's covenant with them says, my words which I have put in your mouth, just like it says in Deuteronomy, that God has given his word to the people of Israel, and they shall speak those words, teach them diligently to their children. And here's God's promise for a multiple generational passing on of the faith. And they shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your children. In other words, your children's faith will last or out of the mouth of your children's children. This means that your faith doesn't survive for 10 years. It survives for your children's lifetime, and it runs right into your grandchildren's lifetime. It doesn't end. This is a solemn promise from God to show how dramatically the power of the Holy Spirit with mom and dad in the most simple ways speaking God's word to their children. And this is how God has planned for the faith to be carried down. The true knowledge of the living God is promised in the new covenant. As long as parents will convey it to their children, it will stick with their children for their lives, and even their children's children, there will be a legacy of faith. Now, a lot of parents might say, but you don't understand, uh, I've never been to seminary. I'm not a theologian. You don't have to be the expert. The real requirement is having a strong relational bond with your children, and then in a modest fashion, and I'll be giving you some upcoming broadcasts, some very easy-to-implement practical tips on how to do this, but a lot of parents still can't envision themselves speaking God's Word to their children, but you need to because God has equipped you in the new covenant in very, very special ways to do this. To illustrate this and kind of bring it home, I'd like to take you back, all the way back in the Old Testament to something that happened and recorded in Numbers chapter 11. Moses, who is prefiguring Christ, is the leader, the visible leader of God's people, he needed to see the faith expand, and um, basically he needed some help. So Moses said that he was going to share the spirit that was on him with the 70 elders. And again, Moses is prefiguring Christ. Moses was the man with the spirit, and God said, I'm going to come down, and I'm going to take some of the spirit which is upon you and put it upon the 70 elders. Now, they gathered the 70 elders together in a, in a uh, special meeting, and God did just that. He came down and took of the Holy Spirit that was upon Moses and shared it with the 70 elders. But there were two other guys you probably haven't ever heard of, Eldad and Medad, prophesying in the camp. See, what happened, the Spirit came down on Moses, 
And in the formal meeting, it was spread to the 70 elders. And Joshua, Moses's assistant, found out that Eldad and Medad were prophesying apart from this official meeting. He came running back to Moses. He says, Moses, tell him to be quiet. And then here is Moses's unforgettable response to Joshua. Numbers 11, verse 29. Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And really, Moses' response to Joshua was a prophecy of what would happen in the new covenant, not only to Eldad and Medad, but that all God's people would be prophets. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you're Gene Dixon, you know, predicting the future and all this type of thing and who's going to win the Super Bowl and what the stock market's going to do. No, to, to be a prophet in this sense is to speak with the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Word, in such a way that this living truth meets the, in the human heart a living faith. And starting with the day of Pentecost, Moses's wish came true that the Holy Spirit fell, not just on some selected people like Moses and Joshua, not just on the 70, and not just on Eldad and Medad, but all God's people are now given of the Holy Spirit. And the reason it's so generous is because now it's not Moses sharing it, it's the anointed one, Christ. Jesus the Christ means Jesus the anointed one with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't run short if God shares it with all his people. This is a horrible exegesis or interpretation of the Bible, but I couldn't help but thinking of those strange names, those two guys that Joshua wanted Moses to shut up, Eldad and Medad. I'm thinking mom and dad sitting in a bedroom or around a kitchen table and in the most humble way to sharing God's word are really empowered as the prophets of old to speak God's word with prophetic power, with penetrating power, with hearts transforming power, without any visible lightning, but into their children's hearts so it goes to their children all their life and their children's children. This is my covenant with them. This is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Until next time, you can find us on the web at Family Life Center. .net. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.